And Hillary, I like how you're referring to this. So cost segmentation versus cost segregation. When I pull up the definition of both words, I think you're onto something. And segmentation's a, a little nicer of a word too, so perhaps we can market it like that. But it's a conversation for a different time. That's sucks. I like to like society to see if we can change it. Say, hey, we've got some ideas here. We've got some improvements we're gonna make. Okay. This is the Generally Accepted Accounting Podcast. That's GAP for all you accounting nerds. It's a podcast produced by Casey Peterson, LTD. We're a firm of CPAs and financial advisors based in Rapid City, South Dakota. And we'll be talking about tax, finance, accounting, audit, and a bunch of other topics that sound really boring, but that we're going to make hip and cool. Or we'll try anyway. So stick around to learn more. I'm Hilary Dobbs-Davis, Client Experience Manager for Casey Peterson LTD. On today's episode, we're talking about cost segregation, not segmentation, a word I mess up multiple times, as well as the Research and Development Tax Credit. One of our guests today is Steve Ruda, the Director of Client Relations for ICS Tax LLC, a consulting firm that provides innovative tax planning strategies and one of our partners on the whole cost seg process. Our other guest is Tom Josiak, an income partner for our firm who works in our Gillette office. Now, cost seg and R&D tax credits may not sound riveting, but once you realize how much money your business can save, well, you might be singing a whole different tune. Listen in to learn more. Tom, Steve, we're here today to talk about two things that sound really technical and that people, I can already feel them glazing over about, which is cost segmentation and R&D, which is not rip off and duplicate, which is what I do in my job. <laughs> so, um, Steve, I'm going to start with you. Let's yep. start cost seg. Yes. Can you talk about, uh, in a in an elevator pitch for the yep. average person, what is cost seg? Cost segregation is an engineered approach looking at a building to figure out what we can depreciate in a quicker term. Okay. Saving you tax money now versus 40 years from now. Okay. So talk about that. Talk about real quick um, how long typical depreciation lasts. Okay. Your normal commercial building, uh, industrial building is 39 years. That's a long time. Yes, it is. Um, a, an apartment complex or assisted living is 27 and a half years, which is also a long time. That is a long time, right? So most people, a business or a real estate, somebody that owns these, they're not going to have an asset for 39 years or 27 years or something like that. So, or, or, or they may, and it's part of their legacy to hand down to their kids. Sure. But right now our lifestyles are going to change. Most owners will, you know, while they're 40 years old, 45, you know, most people that own a building are mid forties to early fifties. Sure where they've finally been established and they've created cash where they can invest in real estate. And therefore, 40 years from now, you know, they're 85 at that point and their lifestyles change. They're not working. They're not doing everything else. So they might then just have that as residual rental income and not really worry about taxes not then but they just it, want the cash essentially yeah, they don't they yeah. don't need to worry about all the things yeah. that go into that correct okay so for somebody that's doing cost seg like let's talk about that like how does that work are we talking what kind of things can you cost segment in a building 
Okay. Yes. So anytime the cost segregation, like an apartment complex, we will look at countertops. We'll look at flooring. We'll look at washer and dryer hookups. Okay. So if the if the each unit has a washer and dryer hookup, the water lines and electrical that go to the washer and dryer become personal property. For restaurants, you have all of the electrical that goes to service the equipment. Okay. All of the plumbing that goes to service the bar, you know, with all of the water lines to clean the glasses and to do all that, that would become personal property. Okay. So basically what you're doing is you're taking in building instead of something as a whole, as an asset, you are breaking it into pieces and then those pieces can depreciate quicker than the building overall. Correct. Okay. Um, so what, like what kinds of businesses or organizations is cost seg best for, or like what's an ideal cost seg person? For yep. the um, multi-tenant offices, multi-tenant retail, manufacturing facilities, Office complexes, restaurants are great ones, apartments, hotels. Warehouses are probably on the lower side just because there's a lot of, you know, the IRS says you have to have a floor, you have to have walls, you have to have doors. So that's a thing that makes up a building yep. that does not depreciate as fast because in order to have a building, you yes. have to have walls and doors and windows. Correct. And but you don't necessarily have to have all of the electrical parts okay. to service that. And so... You know, it does have to have some electrical. Right. So we look at the load calculations and figure out what we can take for shorter lives. Okay. But warehouses, a lot of times, is it's the building, and there's not a lot of equipment. There's not a lot of – and so warehouses are probably the least beneficial. Okay. Some agricultural is because they already have great tax benefits. Okay. So a lot of farms, ranches, yeah. those sorts of things – don't necessarily benefit as much from because they're already 50, you know 10 year single egg life or 20 year egg buildings which automatically have shorter depreciation and are eligible for bonus in section 179d and things that incentivize the growth okay i got you um tom have you okay have you done cost seg with your clients or did you just do r&d I've done both cost segregation <laughs> and uh, r&d and hillary i like how you're referring to this so cost segmentation versus cost segregation. When I pull up the definition of both words, I think you're onto something. And segmentation is a, a little nicer of a word too, so perhaps we can market it like that. But for, it's know, a conversation I'll, for a different time. That's, yes, I like to like, <laughs> the society to see if we can change it. Say, hey, we've right. got some ideas here. We've got some improvements we're going to make. Yep. Um, so Tom, can you talk a little bit about uh, a client that has benefited from cost seg and sort of how the whole process worked? Cost segregation has been great for tax planning for people investing in real estate and especially real estate professionals. So we can front load depreciation. We can take a lot of tax losses sooner than later, and it lowers their tax bill immediately. And it's also kind of turned investing in real estate into a bit of a tax planning approach as opposed to an investment approach where historically, if you have a 39-year building, that's you're investing in a, something you want to appreciate versus taking a tax deduction sooner. Sure. So there's so, more. So kind of the idea is like someone has said, um, OK, you know, why should I do a cost seg? Like I'm going to have to pay this tax bill eventually anyway, or I'm going to have to do this. Like what are the benefits of doing it now? Well, you might have more cash, more liquidity, and you can invest that then now you can go do other things with it rather than having to wait until the end and, and realizing the benefits then. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. Or am I just making things up? That is. Yeah. No. <laughs> you, you took you took. 
in charge of the question you asked me. Give me an example of a client, and that's what we've had some real estate professionals do. They're okay. saving on taxes. They're reinvesting it each year in more buildings, and then they're doing cost segregations to take the loss. With um, Steve can probably talk a little bit about this too, but real estate professionals, uh, they can take deductions, others can't. So if somebody's not in the real estate profession and they have rental income, it's passive income and it's passive losses. We have to net passive income against passive losses. That can be a bit limiting with real estate losses. It's why it can be good for real estate professionals. Okay. Tom, I was gonna go back to the one client that we worked on. Mm -hmm. Um, That's actually also an R&D client. Okay, perfect. But that client was beneficial because it's owner occupied. Okay. So the owner occupied, they rent, it's a self-rental. So self-rental, okay, define so self-rental. Self-rental is that I, I have one LLC that is my operating entity. Okay. And then I have another LLC that owns my real estate. Okay. And they want to keep them separate for legal purposes and everything else. Liability, all that. Liability, all of the fun legal jargon that (laughs) we know nothing about. But what happens there is we can actually couple that activity. Okay. And they can still take those deductions off of their ordinary, off their operating income. So if it's a self-rental, you can you charge usually the LLC, the operating entity rents to you know from the building the real estate they pay rent every month to the other okay. and then but with that they, if the ownership's the same in that they can actually offset that income off that operating entity as well okay. so that's another nice benefit for self rentals or owner occupied it's a good point that's a common structure too where husband and wife own both entities. Um, so a big part of this is that everybody's going to wonder is, okay, so I come to Casey Peterson, Casey Peterson puts me in touch with Steve from IFC, and then this is going to cost me a whole bunch of money. So like, why would I even want to do this? Like, I'm, I'm scared of the tax of the bill already. Like, so how does that process of cost process work? Well, look, we, the process of the cost segregation study is Tom would make an introduction or a partner would make an introduction. And then what I generally ask for on a purchase is a purchase agreement or purchase price, the address of the building. Okay. Um, at front, up front. And with that, we can do a benefit estimate. Okay. That benefit estimate is free. That is our investment into our relationship with Casey Peterson. That is our investment in our relationship with the client. So that's a free benefit estimate. And with that, we can come in and say, hey, we think we're going to reclass X based on what's in the building or the parking lot or you know, I have one that is, it's a storage unit. There's not much inside, but it's all concrete uh-huh. for, you know, the, the concrete's more expensive than asphalt. Gotcha. And so we look at all that and we do a lot of places. We look at the asset and the property individually and say, here's what we can reclass. And then we will say, here's what our fee will be. Okay. Our fee won't change as long as the scope of the property doesn't change. You know, if all of a sudden we have one building and all of a sudden you want us to do 10 buildings, obviously we're going to have to talk about the fee change. There might be some restructuring yep. at that point. So that's but <laughs> it, that, that fee is not going to change, okay? The benefit is usually very conservative, and I think Tom could uh, hit that of um, generally we'll come in and say, hey, we think we can get this in reclass. And generally, it can, it's usually a lot, it can be high, a lot higher. It can be, you know, 
overall a little higher, but that's our, our approach. And we're not just throwing some of our competitors throw just percentages out sure. as a reclass to say this. We look at each building on its own because each building is different, if that makes sense. Yep, I think so. So, so you're coming in. So basically, if someone were to say, yeah, um, I'm interested in the possibility of a cost segment, uh, I keep saying segmentation, segregation, it's cost seg, that's what it is. Just go cost seg. Cost seg. Uh, if I'm interested in doing this, I come to you guys, um, you send me the uh, benefit of what you think this is a possibility. Yep. That part doesn't cost me anything. And then from there, is it either a percentage of their savings or a fixed fee? Or no, the, the cost segregations is a fixed fee. Okay. And like I said, that will be, here's what we will charge. Okay. Okay, that's the fixed. Um, and gotcha. what we do is we look at how complex the building is. Is it new construction versus purchase? Is there multi tenants? Is there you know is there a lot of travel involved okay. to get to it? We look and say, okay, here's what we think we can. How many hours it's going to take us to do this? And thing. that's what our fee is based on. Okay. And that is a good point, too, to, to talk about is that what you guys do differently is you actually go on a site visit, right? So you actually will go to the site and look at the building and say, yeah, this this electrical, um, this is this, this part can be that and that sort of thing. So Correct. that's a little bit different than someone who just looks at a sheet of paper of what everything's listed and says, yes, 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 and this. Yep. Okay. Correct. Those benefit analysis make us heroes for our clients. So thank you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and as I said, downstairs, we had a little lunch and learn. And, you know, the other thing is that even if it doesn't work, it's at least you as Casey Peterson being advisors. Right. So and that's we've the, talked about that a lot. Like, yep. I think, Tom, we've even said like it, a client really appreciates it if you send them something um, specific to them that says like, oh, hey, I was thinking about you. Yep. Like That's a huge part of just being top of mind of like. Right. Oh, it's more than the guy that does my taxes and yep. I come to him once a year and that's all I ever see. He's actually thinking about me outside of this one touch point or however a few or yep. many times you have. That's true. Okay. All right. How about let's move into R&D. Yes. Okay. What is R&D? It is a federal tax credit for research and development expenditures. So with normal people language, that means that means if you are a manufacturer, if you are a software developer, if you are an architect engineer and you are working on a project or a process improvement or a new product and you're going into it and you don't know if it's going to work or not, we capture that time. That time is eligible for a credit. Okay. Anywhere from eight to twelve percent of that those wages and expenses are what is calculated for the credit. And there's a couple different ways to calculate it, and based on what you you know the company and that okay. we look at it that way. And so high level is it's a way to incentivize innovation, growth, process improvements for manufacturers and software companies in the United States. Okay. It does have to be in the United States. Okay, so nothing overseas right now has to be actually no. set within the states. Okay, so um, you talked about who can benefit from some of that sort of stuff. How do you how do you capture those expenses? Like, what do you guys need from someone if they're looking to take advantage of the R and D credit? So what we will need is, and the process there is again, we do a free scoping or benefit call. And what that is, it's a little different is because I can't go through a building and say, here's what I can do, but we get to know our clients and our prospects. And, but with that, we usually have a half hour, hour call 
talking with the CFO, talking to the CEO, president, owner, just learning about the customer and the company, um, how long they've been in existence, you know, how many staff do they have, what's their growth pattern been, um, what's new in their world, and how are they, you know, tracking different things. And so we document that and we come in and say, here's what we think the credit will be based on that. And then what happens is we will do interviews. And again, a lot of times, Pre-COVID, they were all in-person interviews. This last year, we because of COVID, we had to do them remote, but we are planning to go back to in-person interviews. And those in-person interviews, what happens is our team will come in and sit down with the owner, the CEO, the accountant, but also the lead engineer or the project manager or the field supervisor who are generally more involved in not just the day-to-day, hey, go fix this or do that, but hey, I'm going to work on this. And these are the projects we did this year. It took, I really worked on this project two months or, you know, that was my majority of my time was this project. If it's a software developer and this was the project I worked on, this is the project I worked on. And so a lot of times we'll do time surveys and we'll ask them, okay, what did they all work on in the year? And we like to tie that back to each project. So for each project, how much time a developer or an engineer spent yeah. working on that project? Yep. Okay. To, to bulletproof that IRS audit if they question it. That's usually the first year is a lot more verbal. And then what we work on is improving how they document what they're doing and what qualifies. So that way, if ever question, they have that. But it's also documentation able, that backs yep. it up. That's a, this, yep. Here's our time sheets or here's our however we track time yep. for this stuff. There's a little bit more yep. of a physical thing. Yes. And the other thing is, is by doing that, they're track. They're able usually to remember what they've done more often. And we'll do quarterly check-ins and they will come in and say, okay, here's what we've done working on and it's documented because they might forget a project at the end of the year. Or if it's the first year study, we're going back four years. Well, it's tough to remember what I did last week, let alone four years ago. True story. I mean, I think I was crying about the Vikings game Sunday. If it was, if it was four I, years ago, if it was last year, if it was five years. Yeah, you were. I, you know, it. I kind of felt like a, a, a Lions fan for a week. Oh, my goodness. I think everybody felt like a Lions fan for a week. <laughs> um, so does a project, an R&D project, does it have to have been successful in order for them to take advantage of the credit? No. I um, mean, actually, the failure of a project leads to a, hey, we went into this with uncertainty and it was very uncertain because we scrapped it after six months, right? (laughs) Um, So that project qualifies because, yeah, we're not doing that project because we just couldn't get it right and fixed. Okay, that's good Now I'm curious, can you allocate more expenses to a project like that? Yeah, I mean, as long as the time and, I mean, you're looking at the supplies and the scrap material and first runs and all of that qualifies. And if you have stuff that you bought that is now, we, you know, basically if you bought a piece of equipment just to get this trying and working um, and you're not going to depreciate it because you're not using it, is that really a capital asset or is that a now an expense. It's surprising the credits that have been returned a couple times and we've done this. It, it's impressive really that how many how many expenses can be reclassified as R&D after 
you dig in. Um, so talk about that a little bit, Tom, like when, when it came to your clients in the R&D, like what types of clients uh, did you help and like what kind of either savings or like what, what did that look like? The few clients we've worked on, there's been a kind of manufacturing and production. They work and make things better. I mean, truly make processes better from what I can see. And then there's one that is more of a process improvement projects that they were working on. It is. And that's kind of from what I see. And there's also there was programmers involved. We had one where they were actually writing programs and that one seemed obvious to me. But then once again, Stephen's crew dig in and we have really nice credits that we're also that we were able to use to offset taxable income in the scoping calls. Are great. I mean, we've had a few scoping calls where we we see an R and D credit on the horizon. It might not be there, or it doesn't uh, materialize. But as the CPA and the advisor, I get a better understanding of what's going on with the client just be, okay. from uh, thinking of questions that I wouldn't nat- uh, naturally ask. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's a it's a huge opportunity. And we even talked a little bit earlier to um, breweries since yep. this is a. Um, South Dakota just recently discovered breweries in the last like 10 years as opposed to what everything else is going on. I don't know if that's true in, in Wyoming as much, Tom. Um, moonshine, but the R- moonshine. <laughs> moonshine. You guys are, you're, you're so far ahead of us. Too, <laughs> Pony Express and Moonshine. <laughs> yeah, um, breweries, wineries, um, if they have a head brewer and or, or a couple brewers that are on staff, always working on new recipes, new batches. Um, Breweries are a very good client. We do actually have a article out there published that I will send over, but talking about the benefits of the R&D tax credit for that. The other thing I'm going to just kind of talk about, because obviously as things have become more global, you know, in South Dakota, we don't have a state income tax. Wyoming doesn't either, correct? Correct. But let's say Casey Peterson has a manufacturing or a client in Iowa. Iowa's state credit is phenomenal because it's refundable. Oh, that's a good deal. Okay, (laughs) So they don't even have to have tax liability or they can have a loss and they can still get the R&D tax credit. Nice. Minnesota actually has one of the better, like in terms of percentages that qualify. So the Minnesota R&D tax credit is not refundable, but it is very beneficial. And so just because I know that it used to be is we had a CPA firm in Rapid City and all of their clients or 80% of the clients were in Rapid City. Well, that doesn't work. That doesn't work anymore. And so it's all over the world and it's that. And so um, you want to be aware of the state because that can be an extra add-on, if that makes sense. Like California actually has a on for S Corps. They have a because S Corps pay a small tax for being an S Corp. You actually can get the R and D credit to offset that tax and then also flow through to the individuals on their K ones for their individual tax return. Okay, so there's just benefits there, for yeah. all kinds. I mean, yeah. there's just investor stuff. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this. Nonprofits, not as much of a benefit when it comes to R&D. Yeah. Um, some costs sag for nonprofits. It's, very, yeah, it's a very, very narrow niche for the cost sag on non-for-profits. And the only real niche would be as if it's a debt finance building that they're renting to others. Okay. So, so um, a, a narrower scope. Very, very narrow niche. But um, R&D, unfortunately, right now for not-for-profits does not qualify because they're not paying taxes. Right. Makes total sense. You don't get a credit on something you're not already paying for. Yep. Um, so for clients who are and have already been taking an R&D credit, um, are you able to go back in and, and take another look at that? Yes. Um, we will do a the same scoping call 
and that we do if they've never taken the R&D credit versus if they've taken one. We can go back and look to say, hey, we've we have this or uh, we have a client that we did two years ago. They're in multiple states while the previous provider never filed in Illinois. And it was like a $120,000 Illinois credit for every year. Wow. So it was one of those things that it's like, they're there, it's there. Why aren't we anticipating this? Why don't we take that? Yeah. And I'm going to say in the mid, in South Dakota and probably Wyoming, is that if you had a previous provider, there are a couple different ways to do the credit. Depending on the provider, they might do the easy way which probably leaves 15 to 20% of the credit off. Oh, okay. It's easier to get. It's there, but... So they're taking, like, the low-hanging fruit. They're fruits. taking the low-hanging fruit and just grabbing it's that. doing more work to and get more. And there's times when you can go in and say, hey, let's do this, that exercise. It's not a lot more work on the client side. It's more work on us. And so it's not more, you know, it's not, all oh, labor-intensive for the client. Again, it's on us. I need 600 more pounds of yep. paperwork to give, yep. but whatever. Okay. So, so it's, it's on us and what we found is that that was a big differentiator on some of the clients that we were we've recently taken over from other competitors is that they weren't they're just kind of doing the easy method they weren't going as and they weren't going in depth and i mean the clients were losing out on 20 percent of the credit potentially that's a lot of money that's a lot of money it can be so what um typically like in qualified expenses how much how like what's kind of a minimum that you shoot for I would say, you know, the first year and, you know, it's if we're looking at a four year period, um, you know, we can come in and say, hey, uh, I think with the Tom's client, which is kind of a smaller one that we talked about, generally 150 to 200,000 of qualified research expenditures a year. You know, 200,000 would get you if we get 8%, that's about $16,000 in credits. Okay. So it's not millions of dollars no. that someone will have to no. have done in R&D. It could be no. it's something that's a fairly typical amount for a lot yep. of businesses. So this client total for 18, 19, and 20 had 466,000 of qualifying cost. And, and that's that was, a, typically on a smaller. Yeah, and that was on the smaller. They got 40. So of that 466,000 in wages, they got a $48,000 tax credit. Nice. So for them, that's a big deal. Yeah. Who doesn't like just 50 grand from the government? You know, yeah. Um, and that's the approach is that, you know, going forward, we would probably do a smaller, not the full report and, you know, just to help Simplified. make sure yeah. everything is efficiency wise and, you know, there, but you know, it's, it's $50,000 to this company and that's a big deal to them. Yeah. And, you know, our approach is that we want to service everybody and who knows, maybe in five years, this is now a $2 million tax credit. Right. Um, it could grow. With it could growth. Grow. Yeah. Yep. It gives them the chance to use that money, you know, offset things, reinvest it, whatever it is that they, yep. that they can use it for. Okay. Tom, anything else about that from client perspective or anything else that you've seen or any examples that you want to talk about? No, I think Steve did a great job. It's uh come up with a few questions to ask them afterwards. Like how do breweries <laughs> qualify? That's interesting. There must be some uncertainty there. Does Anheuser-Busch have you on? I mean, yeah. And, um, and I'm going to add one thing, Tom, because yes. I know we talked about this earlier. Two things I'm going to ask you is your feedback from your clients. Has it been worth it? And has it been, you know, has it really disrupted their labor? Has it been 
you know, has it been a burden on them to do this studies, the R&D or cost eggs? No, no, it's, it hasn't been a burden on the clients or hasn't been a burden on the CPAs. You've taken it and done a team's done a great job with it. So it's been nice. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, and another thing, I mean, it costs a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to have to, you know, provide all of my records and dig everything up. So it's nice that this is a simpler process. Yep. It's not going to take something where you have to have dedicated staff digging through files to send to Steve. So that's a good point too. I mean, the cost on the client's time, as far as how much it takes them to do it, I believe it's worth it. But with the benefit estimates, I mean, it's fantastic. We, we know almost immediately whether or not it's worth it. Right. When Steve sends it, we can look at it and determine what the tax benefit is and, and get back to the client. So, and then just because that was one question is, and I've always heard that, well, how much work and I actually was going to say this downstairs is I had a 179D and our engineer that I've been talking to, I used to, in my previous professional life, knew him well, and he's with the CPA firm and I know the CPA firms brought it up. And one of the competitors reached out and said, hey, are you doing this? And the CPA is like, I brought this up three years ago and you're supposed to give me a list of <laughs> schools. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, you did. And I never did that. No, you didn't. And so it's one of those that, again, is that proactive. But, you know, he's like, well, I don't know if I want to do it because of the time. And it's like, give me a list of the schools. Give me contact informations. And my team runs with it. And then it's pretty easy to implement for Tom and, you know, the other CPAs. And then the other question I have is after doing this a couple times, thoughts, concerns in terms of audit or feel comfortable with our defendability and our process where you can say, yeah, I trust these guys and. Well, I've I've certainly grown to trust you. We'll find out if that audit comes through, but. (laughs) You know, I think you um, mentioned you've never had this. a problem, though. You never had a yeah. problem with it. So that that was all I really had to hear was yep. if you haven't had, haven't had a problem in the past, why should there be one in the future? And it's thorough. I mean, I've, I've looked over the reports. I, I don't have concerns there. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, what is your what is the percentage of audits that usually come back? Very, very low. Um, I mean, just overall, like I said in that meeting earlier, architects and engineers right now are kind of an IRS hot topic for the R&D credit. On the cost seg, I think we'll get a notice on like it's either half or one percent of all of our studies. And then after that, it's like one percent of that half actually have a question after we send the report. And it's even lower after that where we say we have to make a change. So in terms of that, it's very good there. Um, On the R&D, we've had very good success. And I think, and I'm going to, I think that's because as Tom said, is our audit report or our reports kind of can, you can walk through of how the credit is calculated. I think there's a lot of times, and I've had the stroke with one client who was asking about something and I go, well, we could charge, you know, that 5% more that you used to pay. I go, and I could get you this nice, you know, dust collecting bookend that you never looked. Solid 200 pages. Oh, two to 300 pages of fluff. I go, or I sent you a PDF. We we do all of ours PDF for electronic um, in this day and age, just to help, again, save costs. And so we, you know, sent that and he's, the page, it is rather large. And he's like, boy, I'm going to fall asleep reading this one night. And we're like, well, we could do this instead. And he's like, no, 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 I like this way. But uh, 
I will say Lacey does a really good job and her team does a good job of tying things back and really making it if questioned or if there we send that to the IRS agent. And a lot of times it's explained and they don't have any questions. So there's enough documentation on your end of things where you're just not getting the IRS taking the magnifying glass and looking at any of the work that you've done. Correct. Not at a high high rate. Okay. And I will say for ICS, you know, we are nationwide. We cover, we have, you know, 21 people throughout the nation. And, you know, I'll be the point of contact for all the, you know, clients and make sure everything's going good and making sure we're meeting all of your expectations. But um, if you have a building, I know one of your staff said he has a guy who just bought a a rental home down in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Hey, can you do a cost seg for that? Yep. So there's really lots of possibilities as far as those sort of things. Okay. Thomas E., thanks today. This has been really insightful. I think there's a lot of things that people just don't know about CUSIC and about R&D. So if you have any questions, uh, make sure to go to our website at kcpeterson.com slash contact us, and we'll put you in contact with Steve and his firm and get you down on the road to saving more money from the government. All right. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And now the legal stuff. This podcast and associated communication are intended to provide general information about tax, finance, investment, and other financial matters. Although Casey Pearson LTD has made every reasonable effort to ensure that the information provided is accurate, we make no warranties expressed or implied. Be aware that this is not a comprehensive analysis of the subject matter covered. It is not intended to provide specific recommendations to you or your business. Investment advisory services are offered through Advantix Planning Partners. Commission-based securities products are offered through Advantix Investment Services, member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Insurance services are offered through licensed agents of Advantix Planning Partners, 3200 Olympus. Boulevard, Suite 100, Dallas, Texas, 75019. The Avantix entities are independent of and unrelated to CPS Financial Services, LLP. Although Avantix does not provide or supervise tax or accounting services, our financial professionals may offer these services through their independent outside business. Not all financial professionals are licensed to offer all products or services. Financial planning and investment advisory services require separate licenses. And now the part you've all been waiting for. Why do seagulls fly over the ocean? Because if they flew over the bay, call them bagels. You're welcome.